you have your Bibles, let's turn to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11 will be in verses 1 through 4. We'll continue our series walking through the gospel of Luke. If you're there, say amen. amen. All right, let's get to work. So in uh, Luke chapter 11, uh, starting in verse 1, we'll just be covering the first four verses today. The scripture says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Let's pray together. God, as we sit with your word this morning, um, we just need to start by confessing that you are the one who is faithful. Yes. You're the one who is good. Yes. You're the one who always comes through on time, every time. Yes. God, you're the one who's wildly consistent wildly faithful and we love that about you we love that your love endures forever we love god that you don't change that you're the same yesterday today and forever but god when we look at you we also see ourselves and we see god that we have failed so often god we have fallen short of your glory we've missed the mark time and time again and lord we confess that when it comes to prayer that our greatest struggle is that we just don't believe the goodness that you have given us in prayer. We don't believe you to that degree. God, we are a prayerless people. God, we all struggle in this room to pray. We all struggle in this room to seek your face. We all struggle in this room to know you by way of prayer. And so, Lord, we're asking for your help this morning, that you would teach us, God, that you would give us grace, that you would come alongside us and help us learn how to pray. We believe, Lord, that you're more interested in us praying than, God, we sometimes are interested in learning how to pray. We believe, God, that you desire a relationship with us more than we desire a relationship with you. God, forgive us for that. Forgive us for that. We pray that as we sit in your word today, that you continue to change us into the image of your son, Jesus. That, God, you conform us more and more to his likeness, that we would pray a lot more like Jesus that we'd listen a lot more like Jesus, and that, God, we would follow his footsteps. We ask this in your strong name. Amen. 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 How do we know what to pray? Anybody struggle with that? How do you know what to pray? Um, we know from the scriptures that God hears the prayers of his people. Amen? Amen. We know that, that we have access through Jesus to the Father in, the, in one spirit. Amen? We know this from Ephesians chapter 2. We also know that the Lord answers the prayers that align with him and his will, right? We know this from uh, 1 John 5. It says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. So we have these beautiful promises in scripture about God desiring us to pray, inviting us before the throne room of God to seek his face and to pray. Do you realize, church family, what that costs for us to come to the presence of God? Do you realize what it costs the Father's Son, Jesus? Do you realize what it costs for us to go before a holy God and that we could be clothed in his righteousness so that we can go and bend his ear from heaven? Do you realize how significant prayer is? And how this moment when we go to him in prayer, that there was all this cost before we even uttered a word. Do you understand that today, church family? But the question is, how do we know what God's will is in any given situation? How do we know? I think if we were having a conversation, you'd say, well, of course, we, we look through the scriptures. Amen. Right? We, we search through pages of scriptures. We, we study the word of God. We begin to learn about what God is like and what he wants and his plans and purposes for his people and for his creation. And so that is one aspect in which we learn how to pray, amen? We look at how people have prayed, but we look at the character and nature of God. 
and what he's revealed about what he wants to do in our world and our lives. But the question is always, even within that, what principles apply? In any given situation, there could be a multitude of principles that apply. Let me give you an example. When someone comes and says, either in your life or, or you know someone and they are sick, what do you pray for? A lot of us will go right to the place where we, we, we pray for healing and amen, right? We believe God can heal and so we ask those requests of God, right? But there's a question of whether or not God is going to heal because he is a sovereign God and he has plans and purposes for every situation, amen? Right. And so when we go to him in prayer, what if God wants to do something else? Right? What if God doesn't actually want to do the physical healing? What if he wants to give them grace to endure the suffering? What if he wants to give them grace so they can testify about the goodness of God in spite of their circumstances, right? What if God wants to work miraculously through the medical physicians that are caring for them? What if God wants to take them home if they're a believer because it's time, right? What do we do in these situations? Well, this is what I want to submit to you today, is that we pray and rely on the Holy Spirit to help us know how to pray. Amen? Amen? The scriptures and prayer go hand in hand because the spirit that inspired the scriptures is also the spirit we rely on in prayer. Amen? Amen. We know that from James uh, chapter 1, verse 5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without approach, and it will be given him. So if you need wisdom to know how to pray, we can ask God for that. We can ask God for that. James 4, 2 says, You do not have. Why? Because you do not Ask. Oftentimes we sit in these places of prayer and we haven't even asked the Lord about what we should be praying about. Am I guilty? We just run right into the presence of God and we start making all these requests. And God's really gracious and God loves to hear his kids bombard heaven with our requests. But my question is, what does it mean to pray around the will of God? And how do we agree with God in prayer? We know that the Holy Spirit plays a really important work in this because part of his job and the ministry is that he teaches us all things, right? He's a helper, and he brings to remembrance everything that Jesus has said, right? So he comes alongside, he helps us. We also know from Romans 8.26, it says, I love this verse, Likewise, the Spirit helps in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with words too deep for words. And so what's amazing about this spirit who lives inside of us if we are in Christ is that he helps us to pray, but he also intercedes for us because we don't know how to pray. Amen. Is that encouraging? Amen. If you don't know how to pray, the spirit of God knows how to pray. Amen. This is good news. So here's what I want you to see this morning from our text is that prayer is a two-way conversation with God. Right, church family? It involves us speaking and involves us listening. Everybody catch that? Prayer involves us speaking and it involves us listening. Most of us in the church get the speaking part, right? We know that we're supposed to be speaking, but how often are we listening to the Lord when we pray? How often are we inviting him to teach us how to pray? We can ask the Lord what his will is. Do you realize that? We can sit before the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want to do in this situation? How do you want to be glorified in this person? How do you want to be lifted up in this situation? Lord, teach us to pray. This is the verse. Lord, teach us to pray. I want to share just a brief testimony of the faithfulness of God and why I believe praying about what we pray for is really important. And it's important for us in the life of believers. A number of years ago, um, my oldest daughter, who was about to turn 10 later this month, um, actually when she was 15 months old, she was diagnosed with hip dysplasia. We found out that her hip was literally a pancake and her leg was disconnected from her hip. And we found this uh, we had known that there was something wrong. We've been asking our pediatrician to give us an opportunity to figure out what's happening, and they did the test. She couldn't conclude anything, but when we finally got the X-ray, it was clear that her leg was disconnected from her hip. And so, by God's providence, we went to AI Dupont, and we had uh, the the doctors look at everything, and this is how we found out. And by God's providence, we got connected with one of the two top pediatric orthopedic surgeons in the entire world. And this is what he said to us, your daughter's leg is disconnected from her hip. The only chance we have for her to be, like, have a somewhat normal life is to do surgery within the next few weeks. And so my wife and I were devastated. You know, this is our baby. You know, how, how, how is she going to be okay? And, and so we took this news and we began to pray and got counsel and began to ask the Lord about, what do you want to do, God? Because we know that you can do all things. And we know that you can heal. 
But God, we trust you. Whatever you want to do through this, we trust you. And in those times of prayer, well, we sensed that the Lord was going to heal her, but we still had to go through the process, which is not what we wanted to hear. That was not what we wanted. We wanted God to just fix it immediately. And so we began to just walk this journey with her. And so we go in on the day of her surgery, and um, the doctor begins to walk down what he's going to do. And he says that, you know, we're first going to try to put her leg back in her hip. We're going to cut her tendon on her inner thigh, and we're going to try to get her leg into her hip. And if that doesn't work, which it usually doesn't, uh, we're then going to break her hip, we're going to put a plate on it, and then a few years she's going to have another surgery, we're going to put another plate on her hip, and then we'll have that removed, and then at 50, uh, she'll have to have a full hip replacement. And this was best case scenario. And oh, by the way, I didn't mention that her right leg was shorter than her left leg, because it had been disconnected. And so we go into the day of surgery, and I'm a mess, I'm sure Katrina was too, and I'm leaving the hospital, and I get a call from Katrina, and she is sobbing on the phone. And she's not talking at all. So my daughter's was sure that's not a good thing to do, by the way. Because <laughs> I'm panicked. I'm like, what's going on? And she says, he did it. Amen. And I said, who did what? And she said, God did it. Yeah. So we get back to the hospital. Yeah, he did it. We get back to the hospital, and her leg stayed in her hip. It was like this. So you tell me how that works. Had been disconnected from, her leg's been disconnected from her hip all this time. And all of a sudden, they go to put it in, and it sticks. So he comes out, the nurse is in shock, the doctor's like, well, it's likely gonna come out because there's no hip, you know, it's flat, and needs to grow. But we'll put it in there, we're gonna cast her, we, she was in body cast, she was in uh, body braces. And through all this time, every time we go in, they say, well, when it comes out, but when it comes out, but when it comes out, and every time we go, it always be this heart check for my wife and I about whether we're gonna trust God. And believe that he's faithful, even though we can't see and we don't know what we're doing. And so I'm happy to report today, all these years later, her hip is fully formed. Hallelujah. Fully formed. Yeah. After all these years. Yeah. It still needs to curve down a little bit, but it's a fully formed hip. Her leg has never come out of her hip, and her right leg is the same length as her left leg. And so even for Alethea, when she goes in there and they talk about all this about, hey, we have to do surgery, one of the things I'll do with her, I'll say, still on the floor, baby, is your right leg the same length as your left leg? <laughs> and she'll say, yeah. I said, well, so if God did that, do you think at this point he's not going to come through? You know? And so I say that to say, having clarity about how to pray changed how we walked through this process. It wasn't that my wife and I didn't struggle. We struggled all the time. We felt that. We cried together. We wept together. We doubted God all the way through it. And God met us. But because we had clarity about what to pray for going into it, it changed the way we walked through it. And it's changed the way it did. So I want to encourage you, saints, that it's good to know what God wants to do in any given situation. It's good to pray with Him. When you think about the purpose of praying with God, it's to know Him and obey Him. That's what we're really after. We want to know God and we want to obey God. And we believe that John 10, 27, when Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me, that we have the ability to recognize the voice of Jesus, amen? amen. Through the Spirit of God, that as the people of God, we have the ability to recognize his voice. And how do we recognize his voice? Well, when we search the pages of scripture, guess what we're doing? We're hearing the voice of God. This is why we study the scriptures. I don't know if you realize this, but when we open up the Bible, and we begin to pray and ask the Lord, and we read the text, we should be meeting a person. That should be our expectation. God, I'm coming to meet with you today. I'm coming to listen to your voice today. I'm coming to know your character today. We should come with that expectation. And then we also ask the Lord to reveal through his spirit what he wants to reveal. Again, this is not new. In Acts chapter 13, we see that the Holy Spirit tells Paul and Barnabas that, uh, that he had set them apart. And so the church agrees with that and sends them out. It was out of this place of prayer and fasting and seeking the Lord that they had clarity about what to do with Paul and Barnabas. Likewise, Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 says, Three times I plead with the Lord about this that it should leave me. Remember the thorn in my side, his side? And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Because of that revelation, because of that wisdom that God gave Paul, he knew how to walk through his thorn. Amen? This is really important for us, church. It's really important. 
When I think about the, the whole idea of praying and asking the Lord about what to pray for, it seems kind of silly when you think about it. Like, why wouldn't we just ask God about what we should pray about? He is the King of heaven and earth. He does have plans and purposes. Why not just ask Him? But when I think about it for myself, I think about all the time that I just, I assume I know what I should be praying for. I make that assumption. Or when God doesn't bring clarity about a situation, I grow impatient and I stop asking. Anybody been there? Yeah, I stop asking, right? But this whole idea of Lord teach us to pray, which we see in our text, is the question of are we listening as we pray? Are we listening? Are we listening? We'll see in Luke chapter 11 the importance of listening to the Lord. And in this text, there are several invitations for us to pray. First, the invitation is to see Jesus and see that he was a man of prayer and that we should pray just like Jesus. Then we're going to see that the disciples made a right decision by asking, Lord, teach us to pray. That's a really faithful prayer. Lord, teach me, teach us to pray. And then third, we'll see the form of prayer, or known as the Lord's Prayer, the model, if you will, is this is how we pray the way Jesus wants us to pray. So let's jump into the text here. In chapter 11, verse 1, we see in the first part that now Jesus was praying in a certain place. I love this, and this is one of the things I love about the scriptures. I don't know if you realize this, but every time we open up the scriptures, it's like pulling a well, water from a well. Do you realize that? Even texts that you've read a million times, that when you're sitting with the Lord and you're seeking Him, or when someone's preaching or teaching, that God can just draw all kinds of amazing truth from that scripture. Amen? Everybody know what I'm talking about? When I was looking at this passage, I was amazed at this very simple statement. Jesus was praying in a certain place. The praying in this text describes what the being, what he was doing. It didn't actually matter what place he was at because he was praying. That was the more important thing for Luke to want us to hear is that the priority was prayer. It didn't actually matter. What mattered was that he was praying. We all know that uh, when you're with someone you love, sometimes the place and situation doesn't matter, right? Everyone know what I'm talking about? You love birds out there? You could be standing in line all day, but if you're with the one you love, you're all right. Or if you're with a good friend, you're all right. How much more for God? No matter whatever place we're in, we can be with Him. And if we're praying and seeking Him, it doesn't matter what the place is. This is, this is what Psalm 23 is all about. When it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear you, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We see in the scriptures that Jesus prayed often to the Father. This is new. By the time we get to chapter 11, we've already seen a number of things in the storyline of Luke as he's retelling the good news of Jesus. He says this in, verse, in chapter 5. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he, that is Jesus, would withdraw to desolate places and pray. We see this over and over again in the Gospels of Jesus, as much ministry as he did, he found his time away with the Father. He prayed often, he spent time with the Father. We see this all through the Gospel of Luke. We see that in chapter 6, in these days he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. Jesus prayed. He spent time with his Father. Of all the miraculous things that Jesus did, he was a man of prayer. He loves spending time with his father. He would actually leave ministry to go pray. He would leave people's needs to go pray. This is incredible when I think about this. How much more for me and you? How much more should we withdraw to go seek the father and to go be with him? But we know that Jesus faithfully loved his father. We know this because, for instance, he says in John 14, I do as the father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love I do what he commands me to do. Or in John 12, he says earlier, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who has sent me has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. So we know Jesus, as he walked this earth, spoke what the Father wanted him to speak, did what the Father wanted him to do. Right? Everybody with me? Amen. He did what the Father wanted. Jesus was without sin, perfectly obeying, perfectly walking with his Father. So it shouldn't surprise us when he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing on his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. There's a question of how did Jesus know what to say? How did he know what to do? One of the primary ways 
is through prayer. He listened to his father. He listened to his father. That's how he knew what to do. How did he see what the father was doing? He perceived what the father was doing and he emulated it on earth. What an amazing picture of prayer. What an amazing picture for us to follow in his likeness. We know already that listening precedes obedience. Right? It's hard to obey if we don't know what we're supposed to be doing. Right? Everybody tracking with me? Yeah. Listening precedes obedience. This is why Jesus says in Luke 8, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do what? And do it. There's still more encouragement about Jesus when it comes to prayer. Do you know that he still prays for us today? Yeah. Have you realize that? Like, how many times have we asked people to pray and we failed to forget that Jesus is interceding from heaven for us? Like, we only give people glory and say, thank you so much for praying. When's the last time we thank Jesus for praying? How many times that we have prayed for things, but because Jesus prayed, it actually happened, right? This is the amazing part about him, is that he still prays from heaven. Isaiah 53, 12, 12 says, he makes intercession for the transgressors. Aren't we glad about that? Romans 8, 34 says, Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Man, how encouraging is that? Church, do you realize that Jesus is praying for you from heaven? Do you realize? When's the last time you and I thanked him for that? When it comes to the text, we jump into the second part of chapter uh, chapter 11, verse 1. It says, And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. As I said earlier, of all the things that the disciples did not get right, they got this one right. How many times were they slow to believe? How many times did they ask the wrong questions or make the wrong suggestions? In this case, they asked the right question. They made the right request. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. One disciple on behalf of the other disciples, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, this wouldn't have been uh, uncommon uh, to ask your rabbi, your teacher, to teach you how to pray. But we know that he wasn't just a rabbi, right? Yeah. yeah. He wasn't just some guy. He wasn't just some teacher. He was the Lord of heaven and earth in flesh. So when they asked this of him, they were actually praying, Lord, teach us to pray. What's amazing about the disciples is that they've already had all these cool experiences with God. Do you realize up until this point in the story, they've already seen Jesus do so many things. He healed the sick. He casted out demons. He rose home from the dead. He forgave sin. He multiplied fish and loaves to feed thousands. And then they too experienced the power of God when they went out on mission, when he sent them out. But even still, they recognized what they lacked. They did not know how to pray. Even though they experienced the power of God, they watched Jesus demonstrate the power of God. They still said, I need to learn how to pray. We need to learn how to pray. So here is the wisdom for us. Lord, teach us to pray. Amen. And to sit at a spot with the Lord and say, Lord, teach me how to pray. Not assume, not just rush in, but to listen. Say, Lord, I need to know how to pray. I need to know how to walk with you. And we know when it comes to prayer that prayer, and this is one of the things that sometimes gets really tricky for us when it comes to prayer, is that we think Prayer is like a transaction between us and God. You ever know what I'm talking about? We think it's like a transaction. It's like, okay, God can do this. Okay, great. This is who you are. Can you do this? We treat it very transactional. But the way Jesus prayed and the way that we see this working on the text is that prayer is relational. It's not transactional. Yeah. Everything is built on our relationship with God. So it makes sense then why we wouldn't just assume prayer, but we would step into a place and say, Lord, teach me how to pray because I want to know you. I want to obey you. I want to bless you, God. I want to honor you with my life. How do I join you in what you're already doing? Does anybody know that, that the Lord is already working, even if we don't see it? Does anybody know that? Like Jesus says, my Father is working and I am working also. He's always working. So let's join him when we pray. Lord, teach us to pray. This should be our prayer. Prayer is best learned by listening to the Lord and by practicing prayer. We pray to learn how to pray. I'll say that again. We pray to learn how to pray. You can't read prayer and just do it and know how to do it. You actually need to practice prayer. 
You actually need to spend time with God. You and I could read 50,000 books on prayer, but if we don't pray, huh, it's on. just information. Yeah. All we gained is a bunch of information about what we should be praying about. So we need to actually pray. We actually need to exercise the gift and the, and, and the access we've gotten from the Father through the Son in the Spirit. Amen? Amen. So now we move into verse 2 through 4. And this is where we've heard it said before, this is the Lord's Prayer. I actually don't like it being called the Lord's Prayer because the Lord prayed other times too. Right? This isn't his only prayer. This is actually the disciples' prayer. This is the model prayer for the disciples. This is what it says. In response, the Lord teaches to pray. This is what Jesus says. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. If you look at this text and and parallel with uh, Matthew's gospel, you'll see a bit of a distinction. Uh, Matthew's uh, recording of this model prayer is a bit longer, but the phraseology is also a little bit different. In, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, pray then like this. So in Matthew's rendering of this, what he says is this is meant to be a pattern in which you pray. This is meant to be a guide to help you pray. But in Luke's gospel, he says, when you pray, say. What's more important about all this is to recognize that we're not supposed to simply recite a prayer. That's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to pray a prayer. This prayer was meant to be prayed. It was meant to be used as a guide for how we pray. We know that this is just one of many in Scripture. That all through the Psalms, there are so many examples of how to pray. There's so many different aspects to pray. We can talk about praise, or we can talk about thanksgiving, or we can talk about lament or intercession, or supplication, or confession. But the idea is that this is a model to pray. This is a way that we can pray the way Jesus invites us to pray. Amen? Yeah. Notice in verse 2 it says, when you pray. Jesus says, when you pray. I want you to turn to your member and say, we should pray. We should pray. Listen. It's really basic, but it's really, sometimes it's not that obvious, right? Some of the most profound truths in the Word of God are the most simple. Jesus says, when you pray, meaning he expects that his followers pray. He expects it. That's why he's teaching this prayer. It is a necessary and essential part of the Christian faith. We believe in a living, ruling, ever-present Lord. Prayer is the relational connection to that one true God. Do you realize that? Otherwise, we're just reading words on a page when we open up the scriptures, right? We can read about God or we can know God. Prayer is the relational connection that we have with the Lord that brings the words of scripture to life. Prayer that Jesus taught has a couple parts here. Let's go down through. So first there's an address, and then there are two sets of requests. The first set of requests pertain to God, the Father, and His kingdom. And the second set pertains to the disciples, or by extension, us. The priority of prayer, and I want you to hear this, is always God Himself. Alright, I'll say it one more time since you all didn't hear this morning. The priority of prayer is always God Himself. It's about Him and His glory. It's about Him. Prayer begins with God, and church family and ends with God. You've heard it said, prayer works. I don't like that statement. Because God works through prayer. God sovereignly, mysteriously works through the prayers of people like me and you. I don't understand how that all works. I don't understand why he does it. But that's what he's chosen to do. And he's taken very common people like me and like you and like Elijah and all these other people. And he has done amazing things through the prayers of his people through the centuries. Isn't that incredible? Prayer works because God works. Amen. I love what David Mathis reflects. He says, it shouldn't surprise us then to find that prayer is not finally about getting things from God, but getting God. Born in response to his voice, prayer makes its request of God, but is not content only to receive from God. Prayer must have him. Amen. This is where the relationship is so crucial, folks. It's not just about our needs and our wants. It's about him. So we move into the address here, which he says, Father. Um, and again, this is a super personal address. Jesus is inviting his disciples to see God, the maker of heaven and earth, as a father. Do you realize how personal that is? 
He's not just a God up in heaven who's made all things, who holds all power, but that same God is also your Father. That you get to call Him Father. But when it comes to prayer, we need to recognize that prayer as a communication always has a recipient. We don't just throw up prayer to anything. We pray to someone. Right? There's got to be a someone on the other side of that prayer. It's a two-sided communication, right? So who are we talking to we pray? So address is super important. And we look through the scriptures, we find so many titles, so many attributes, so many ways God has chosen to reveal himself that we can call him. In this case, it is Father. It is Father, and it's super personal. We are to relate to God as a father, which means what? We are his children and should relate to him like that. Yeah. We should relate to him like that. Ever notice when kids are loved by parents how differently they act? Ever notice that? It's always amazing how these like pictures are in creation of what is a picture of what God is doing and showing us as a picture of heaven. Right? When kids are loved, they do all kinds of crazy stuff. They feel comfortable. They feel like they can trust. They can ask anything. Right? They don't feel like they're stepping on toes. They feel like they can be themselves. Right? When kids are in love, it's the opposite experience. They're fearful. They don't communicate. Right? And so the picture here is that if God's our father, and he is our father, you're in Christ. He is our father, that we should relate to him as a kid, and what should define our relationship is love and trust. We love you, Father, and we trust you. And he is unlike any other father we've ever known. I don't know if you realize that, say, I don't know what kind of father you've had, but he's not like your earthly dad. I don't care how great he was, he's still not the father. At best, we're just mere images of the heavenly father, for those of us that are not. At best, we're just mere images. At best. But it's just a reflection. When we move into this and recognizing that God is our Father, He's using the language of adoption. So, Vic was naming earlier today, as we were stepping into prayer, that's one thing for, for God to forgive us, right? It's another thing to invite us to sit at the table as a son and daughter. Completely different thing. God could have stopped at forgiveness, and He continued on and said, No, you're actually going to be part of my family. I'm going to be your father. Listen to what 1 John 3, 1 says. See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. Yes. And so yeah. we are. So we should approach prayer from that perspective, that he is our father and we're children of this father. Moving to the first set of petitions, there's two, hallowed be your name and your kingdom come. When it comes to hallowed be your name, obviously the Lord's name is important. Names carry with it not just identification, but reputation based on character. Names actually matter. And so when we think about the name of God, we, we should treat it as holy. Because there's no one like him in heaven and earth. He is one of a kind. He should be revered and respected. He should be honored. He should be magnified. Right? He should be adored. Hallowed be your name. This request about responding to who God is, his glory, his power, his majesty, his holiness. But how many of God's name isn't just about what we say, it's actually well about what we do. Everybody know what I'm talking about? We talk about hallowing the name of God, hallowing the Father's name. Are we actually representing him well? Or are we misrepresenting him? Does our walk match our talk? Right? We can take the Lord's name in vain, but we can do that not just by what we say, but how we live. Right? When we say that we love Jesus and then we go and do this other crazy stuff, we're not hallowing the name of God. Right? Because we bear his image, but he also comes and lives inside of us if we accept Christ. And so we are his ambassadors of the gospel, right? So when we don't represent well, we're not hallowing his name. We pray this on behalf of the world and the church, certainly, but church, we have to pray this from our own place, right? We have to start with ourselves. Before I can pray that the Lord's name would be hallowed in the world and hallowed among us, I have to pray that it would be hallowed in me. Let your name be holy in me. Yes, God. Right? Like, let your name be magnified in me. This is the essence of this prayer. He then moves into your kingdom come. And here we see that God is a king with a kingdom. Is expected to arrive and to be set up. Obviously, the Lord is already ruling. He's already reigning. I hope you know this and don't take offense. You didn't make him Lord. 
He already was Lord. He's, he's been Lord from the very beginning, okay? He's been Lord. So this highlights, this request highlights the future nature of the coming kingdom of God and our eager expectation and hope for it to happen. Like, do we long for the righteousness of God to be displayed in the earth? Do we long for his glory to be displayed? Do we long for a kingdom that cannot be shaken? Do we long that there be no more sin? Do we long that there be no more brokenness? There be no more justice? Do we long for the kingdom of God? Do we long to see him face to face? Your kingdom come. It also highlights that we shouldn't be selfish and self-centered when it comes to prayer. So your name be hallowed and your kingdom come. This is not about you and me. This is why Jesus starts the prayer this way. It's not about me and you. It's about the King of Kings. And there's only one. It's not about our glory. It's not about our kingdom that we're trying to build here. It's about his kingdom. And figuratively speaking, you and I need to recognize in this petition that we need to get off the throne. As if we were ever on the throne. We need to get off it and recognize there's already a king and it's his kingdom that actually matters. So we are asking, Lord, that your kingdom would come and be established. But again, it's not just outside of us, it's also in us. Be established in me. Is Jesus ruling in us? Is he reigning in us? This is the question of your kingdom come. So the first set of petitions are all about God the Father and his kingdom. But the second set is going to move towards us. And it's actually, they're interconnected. Because here's the thing. The God we just prayed to, we recognize that we are not God. Which means we are not self-sufficient. Which means that we're not independent beings. It means we're not autonomous. It means that we have needs. Everyone know what I'm talking about? Do we have needs today? Yeah. Yeah. But it starts with him. It doesn't start with our needs. This is really important. When we go to pray, we recognize it starts with him. It doesn't start with our needs. But because of who God is, because he's a father, and he lets our eyes gaze on him, he then says, what is it that you need, son and daughter? This is the amazing thing. The first set of petitions go this way. Give us each day our daily bread. Now, here in the United States, many of us, maybe most of us in this room, this sounds like a really weird prayer. When's the last time we asked God for daily bread? When's the last time we had to ask God because we were hungry? Most of us are planning on future meals. Most of us have meals planned weeks out, if not months out, because of, of wealth. But the invitation here is to recognize that God is a faithful provider, and we are dependent creatures. Do you realize that any given day, all that can be taken? Today you might be with food, but tomorrow you may not. So when we pray this prayer, give us our daily bread, we're actually confessing that God, you are a provider, and we are totally dependent on you. And we recognize that. We recognize that we're fully dependent on you. And again, this is not simply about food. This is about basic necessities. This is about the provision that we need, what we need as limited creatures from God. Now, the temptation for us, church family, and I don't know if you're tempted to do this, is to spiritualize this request. This is a temptation for us. Say, oh, this is actually about material provision. This is just about getting what we need from God. And certainly, I will say that the extension of this is that, right? It's not just that we need food, we also need grace, amen? We also need mercy, right? The idea that manna fell from heaven, right? We need God's provision in our life on every level. But I don't want to move too quickly away from the physical part of this, because we need to recognize that that's how dependent we are. We're not just dependent on Him in salvation, and in sanctification, and glorification. You are dependent just for the basic necessities of today. Because He is a faithful provider. And he is going to show up when we make prayer requests like this because this is who he is. God, give us today our daily bread. Next, he moves into forgiveness. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. I just want to know before we jump into this one, Jesus never prayed this prayer. He never had to pray for forgiveness. Amen. He never sinned. There's no need for Jesus to ever be forgiven. But this highlights, this petition highlights that God is a merciful Savior and that we in turn are sinful creatures. We are broken, messed up people. I don't know if you realize that. The more I walk with Christ, I like to think like my, well, my earlier days of walking with the Lord, all the outward part of my life, a lot of that got, got fixed. You know what I'm talking about? 
Like I'm not doing the things I used to do outwardly when I was obeying, disobeying the law. But inwardly, I'm a mess. My heart is prone to wander all the time. All the time. Like I have to check myself. Like I, I have no desire to go out and have a, an affair and commit adultery. But I still gotta check my heart because my heart's prone to wander. And the nature is still there. The sin nature is still there. We still have a problem that we need God to address, and that is our sin. I want you to note a couple of things that this, this problem with sin is, is, is actually rebellion against our king. We just prayed to this father who is a king and a kingdom, and we're also recognizing that we have rebelled against your kingdom. And I would like to think that that all happened before Christ, but even in this room today, myself included, I have my own rebellion that I have forgiven before when I've disobeyed and dishonored him. I love how he says, forgive us our sins. He doesn't say forgive us a sin or one sin. He says our sins, right? He's pointing out that, that it's not just the plural that we collectively have sins, but each one of us has a myriad of sins that we need forgiven, amen? And this isn't stopping one time. Every day, you and I have sin we need to deal with. And if you didn't know that, I'll put you on notice. that you still have sin you need to deal with. And this is what the invitation is, that we can go to this merciful Savior and to ask Him for forgiveness. And we can trust that He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Amen. Because that's who He is. Amen. We can trust Him for that. I love what James 2.10 says. Because some of us might want to try to justify ourselves. Say, I don't have that much sin. You know, I, I don't need to pray this that much. This is what James says. Whoever keeps the whole law, check this, but fails at one point has become guilty of it all. It's an all or nothing sum. So if we're not hitting all the law, we are broken and we have sin. We have sin. I love that we just sang this morning. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. His mercy is more. Mercy is not giving us what we deserve. It is an extension. Forgiveness is an extension of mercy. I don't know if you realize that today. God is so merciful to us. We need to ask for forgiveness for our sins. Likewise, in the latter part of this petition, is that we are to also forgive those who sin against us. I don't know if you realize that this morning either, church family. That when we're praying, Father, forgive me, our, forgive me my sins, forgive us our sins, we also have to be actively forgiving other people. Do you realize that? There's a condition here. If we're going to be seeking the Father's forgiveness, we also need to be forgiving people in our life. We need to forgive those who sin against us. And just to highlight for the record is that forgiveness is a supernatural work of God. It takes God to forgive. But if we are recipients of grace and mercy, how much more should we give it out to other people? If we understand the great debt that we had towards our King and the rightful, the rightful punishment and separation and hell that we deserved? How then can I look at someone else and say, I can't forgive you? When I got all this debt behind me that has been wiped clean because of the cross, right? How dare I say that? How dare we say that? So again, we forgive as we have been forgiven. This is a condition of receiving forgiveness. And again, another expectation of following Christ. And lastly, we get to the last point here. Lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. So here we see that God is almighty Lord and that we are weak creatures. This request may sound weird and might be like, why are we praying, Lord, lead us not into temptation? Why are we doing that? Well, first of all, we have to recognize that we are sheep and that we will go astray. We don't, we don't need God to lead us anywhere. We'll by default do that without God. Everybody know what I'm talking about? <laughs> we'll by default go on all the ways we're not supposed to go. But the big idea here is this, is that obviously the Lord does not tempt us. We know this from the scriptures. Like James 1 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by what? His own desire. So I don't know if I've ever heard that uh, comedian used to say, the devil made me do it. You can't blame God, and you definitely cannot blame the devil too. This is on you and me. We're led by our own sinful desires. So, but the point here is lead us not to temptation is the reality that God may choose to lead us into a place of trial or a place of temptation. He may choose to lead us in that place. I love what the uh, 
Strong's defines as trial. It says, a putting to proof by experiment of good, experience of evil, solicitation, discipline, provocation, by implication, adversity, temptation. Vines describes it this way, trials of varied character, where believers are commanded to pray, not to be led into such forces beyond their control, where they're commanded to watch and pray against entering into temptations by their own carelessness or disobedience. The reality is we need lead, and that the Lord will at times lead us into these places of temptation or trial. And you can ask the Lord in prayer why he's doing that, but he does. And there's a myriad of reasons. That's a whole other sermon for another day. The point is, is that when we're praying this, we're recognizing that we're following Jesus' footsteps. In Luke 4, we know that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit, where? Into the wilderness for 40 days. And what happened there? being tempted by the devil. Jesus was led into that place of temptation and trial. So we should not be surprised when that happens to us. What about the story of Job, church family, or the temptation of Peter? Is to recognize that God is in control of our life and that nothing happens outside of his sovereign control and plan. Obviously, we can fall into temptation without God. Right? We, we, can, we can do that without him, but the reality is that God has a plan and purpose when he brings us into those places of temptation and trial. John Piper writes this. I thought this was so good. He says, so God does not do the tempting. He does not put evil desires in our hearts, for he can have no evil desires in his heart. But he does bring us into the presence of many tests and temptations. In fact, listen to this. Every step we take is a step into the presence of temptation. Now, if you realize this, friends, family, Every step we take is a step into temptation. There is disobedience, excuse me, there is no moment of your life that is not a moment of temptation. A moment when unbelief and disobedience is not a possibility. The Lord's Prayer does not teach us to pray against that kind of sovereign guidance. What it teaches us to pray is that temptation does not take us in. Lord, lead us not into temptation. Don't lead me into temptation. Deliver me from this evil that is set before Recognizing who God is, recognizing his sovereignty, and recognizing our weakness in those places that we actually need God to lead us and to help us in those places of temptation. Amen? Again, we're prone to wonder. So here's the invitation this morning, church family. I have um, yet to meet anyone who says they're a superstar of prayer. And here's why. Because if you are a superstar in prayer, you're too humble because you spent so much time with God to boast about it. I've not met one. And so this is an invitation for us to all get really humble about our prayer life and to recognize that we need God to help us pray in every way. Not just one way, in every way. That we're really dependent on the Lord. And to really take an assessment of like, what is our prayer life actually like? And have we actually prayed? Lord, teach us to pray. Teach me to pray, Lord. When have we prayed this? If we've been a Christian any length of time, you've been taught the Lord's Prayer, right? What about the statement before that? What about the crest that led up to the model prayer? Again, prayer is a two-way communication with God. It involves both listening and speaking. I will submit to you this morning, church, we would do well to pray before you pray. Asking the Lord to teach us how to pray, broadly and specifically in situations. This allows us to align ourselves with God and what he wants to do. If you've struggled with the issue of, why is God not answering my prayers? There's a myriad of reasons why. But one of those might be that you're not actually lined up with him. You and I are asking for the wrong thing. And so this is a moment for us to say, Lord, teach us how to pray. I'm reminded this morning of the power of answered prayer. Because answered prayer is actually what separates true and false religion. I don't know if you realize that, right? It actually separates true and false religion. If God is actually real and he's actually alive, then prayer should get answered. Right? If he's living and he's interceding for us, we should expect God to answer prayer. Yeah. He's not dead, is he? Right. No. So we should expect him to answer prayer. This is what... Elijah the prophets of Baal. If your God is real, let's see it. The proof's in the pudding. 
Remember when Jesus prayed before he raised Lazarus from the dead? He prayed so that other people would hear and know that this was a testimony that the Father sent me, right? There's a testimony here that's important. I remember um, a number of years ago, uh, just a very brief story, I had Jehovah's Witnesses that came to my block, and they were passing out their literature. And I always really enjoyed those conversations when they come in, into my neighborhood. And so I came out and I was talking with them, and I always let them do their whole spiel because they have a whole agenda of what they want to accomplish. And I'm like, okay, tell me whatever you want to tell me, and then I want to talk to them too. And so I listened to them, and what's amazing about Jehovah's Witnesses, by the way, I've yet to meet a Jehovah's Witness that didn't say something that was actually in Scripture. I'm not saying they don't believe that. I'm just saying when they come, they come with the low-hanging fruit, right? Because they're trying to win Christians over to that, their faith, right? So they did their whole spiel, and I said, I just have a question for you. I said, when is the last time God answered your prayers? If the Jesus you represent is real, when is the last time God's answered your prayers? And the person, one of the people responded immediately and said, Oh, well, there's a beautiful day. God answered the prayer with the sunshine. I said, the scripture says that God reigns on the just and the unjust. He, he brought that up for everybody. That's not an answer to prayer. Can you tell me something specific in your life in which he's answered a prayer for you? And they both looked at me with deer in the headlights. I had no idea what to say. I said, let me tell you about my Jesus. I'm going to tell you how he's delivered me from this and how he's done this in my life and how he's pried for me and how I asked for this and gave me this. And they were overwhelmed. I said, you can know this Jesus too. He is real. Church family, answered prayer is also a testimony for people that don't believe. That we believe in a real living God that changes lives. Obviously the greatest miracle is, is salvation. But then everything else God does is just icing on the cake, right? The fact that he shows up at all is icing on the cake. The fact that he comforts us when we're drunk is icing on the cake. It's amazing. Again, I want to remind you, and this is the confidence we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. We will see more prayers answered if we pray according to his will. My encouragement to you is search and study the scriptures. Hear, learn to hear the Lord's voice through the pages of scripture. This is the primary place we learn. But then also seek him in prayer and listen for his voice. Praying, Lord, teach me to pray. Let's learn from the master himself. Can we do that, church family? Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for your word. And we thank you that you're a God who answers prayer. We believe, Lord, that you are true and that you are faithful and that you are kind. And so that when we come to you in prayer, Lord, we recognize that you love to answer prayer. You love to commune with us, God. You love to work through our petitions. God, we need your help in learning how to pray. God, for far too long, I'll speak for myself, Lord. I have assumed way too much in prayer. I spent a lot of time talking at you and not a lot of time listening to you. And so, Lord, I pray for us as a congregation that you would continue to teach us how to pray, that you teach us how to get into that place of listening, and that, God, that we would trust your leadership by your spirit, that we would trust that you will not act out of accordance with what you've already spoken through your word, and that, Lord, that you love to answer prayer. You love to show yourself as faithful, and you love when we give you glory in response to